from her own lips. From her own lips. This. From her own lips. The red lips. These red lips. Flowers with flames. back with another episode of From Her Own Lips. It's Liz Olenyeka. Hello. Oh my gosh. What have you been up to, Liz? First, give us a rundown. Oh my God. The most. (laughs) (laughs) I have been, aside from avoiding Twitter at all costs, um, Mm. I've really just been dealing with the fact that the government took away our alcohol again. Um, so there's that. And just work, girl. Work has been killing me. Like I've been working weekends, working late nights. It's been Yeah, capitalism has got the girl, but we live to die another day. How about you? Um, so actually I left my job, which has been really refreshing. I no longer it's freedom. Um, so I've been free, basically. I've been staying fun employed. So I've just been like working on my blog and I got invited to do a few like um panelist stuff. The girl's been killing the game, guys. I hope you guys have been watching and following our Instagram because <laughs> we have been doing a few interviews here and there. Um, so we'll see what happens. I'm looking forward to a few things. And just as like a, a good plug, um, my blog, Griot from Her Own Lips, and my friend's um, platform, The Only Space, we're merging. Uh, and so we've like, um, it's going to be called, it's still going to be called The Only Space, but on the website, it'll say The Only Space and Griot. And basically, we're like rebuilding the platform and it's going to be like a feminist knowledge space. And we're trying to like, basically get we want to build a place where people can come and like find out information about events that are happening all over the world that deal with like feminism and activism and like resources and all this stuff. Like we're not trying to create our own content, but we want to be sharing the content that so many people are creating. So if you're interested in, if you have an organization that you think that we could like plug on our website, like please send that information to us. We'll be launching in August, the first week of August. And we have like a fun bunch of things that we're planning like the theme for the first month is going to be art and resistance and so we're hoping to like showcase a bunch of like feminist artists around the world on the instagram but also on the website and see like what kinds of fun events are happening and stuff so yeah that's a fun plug Da-da-da-da. amazing that's what happens <laughs> when you quit your job okay you flourish <laughs> you have time to do the things that you have been procrastinating doing for too long yeah, and also just to have the freedom to just 
do the things that set your soul on fire, I guess. Yeah. That's a big kind of theme of my life at the moment. (laughs) Seriously, just trying to find spaces that allow for that to happen while simultaneously being able to pay my bills. I don't know. That's, that is the dream. That's what I'm trying to figure out right now. And it's really hard, right? Like, I just feel like, um, I, it just feels like it's difficult. Like with everything that's going on, it can even be like the, it seems like the world is collapsing in some (laughs) respects, like becoming tomorrow or whoever you believe in might be coming or might not be coming. I don't know, but like, it feels like, and then it's like, even if you have the spare time, you might not just like have the, the energy to do it or like, cause you're tired. (laughs) But guess what's launching soon. Tell the world. Tell us what is launching. So, Beyonce movie is coming out, which is called Black Parade. First of all, as a Beyonce fan, I would like to say that I'm very upset because I just feel like she could just be releasing new music. <laughs> and I hope she knows that all of the these cool projects that she's doing don't count as albums, right? Like, no one is, no one is counting any of this as like an album like we appreciate it cool 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 we get it lion king africa great love it for you but we need an album we really do. um but the thing about it is yeah first of all we need an album but also oh just sorry so that people don't drag me this there's a song called black parade but the album is called black is king my bad um, but yeah, so I'm like, damn, I really was expecting a new album. Like we're getting all this new music. I would, Liz knows I've been binge listening to Taylor Swift. Yeah, she's in hell. <laughs> Patting myself on the back. <laughs> she's in hell, guys. Because I don't think it's my friend. <laughs> I don't think I've ever listened to a Taylor Swift album from start to end. Usually I just, you know, you just sing along to the songs that are popular on the radio yeah, that people are reading about, but it was actually pretty good. It was, um, all sad music, very quarantine-y, I would say. It fits the current vibe, but that's not the, that's not the topic for today. So actually Liz, when the buzz, when Beyonce first, um, in- announced that she was doing Black is King and the trailer came out, you know, there was some like this very interesting conversation that was happening about, you know, the portrayals in the in the video. And of course, we haven't watched it. So we're this conversation is not really going to be about Black is King. And maybe we'll build off of this conversation in the future to talk about Black is King in itself and see if it like is con- it, where it falls in terms of the debates that were happening. But I think the really interesting thing that comes up that I see is like, from the conversations that were happening is really around like diaspora and like diaspora relationships to Africa and diaspora imaginations of Africa. And so Liz and I were like, let's, we could talk about this. Like this is constantly Mm. coming up. Like, Mm. yeah. And also I think like in particular when it comes to Beyonce and I do want, again, every time we talk about Beyonce, I always have to put this disclaimer out because I don't need anyone coming for my neck. 
I am a diehard Hive member, okay? I have a, I am a card-carrying member. I have been a card-carrying member since the days when there were four Destiny's children, okay? So let's just, like, put that to bed. But I think, like, the conversations around Beyonce and the, her, her problematic position with the continent is not new, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think in a lot of, like, her material, her music videos that she's produced in the past, she's always had like inklings of like drawing inspiration from the continent and still never including the continent in any kind of real way, in my opinion, that we've seen, except for when she had the, so in the the Run the World video, when she had mm. those two Bansula dancers coming to do teach her the dance because she saw it on YouTube apparently and she was like, I want those guys and then them or whatever, right? And she brought those guys. But like it's also it's also deeply frustrating to be, and this is a an incredibly middle class privileged position to have, to say like it's so frustrating to be from the continent and see her drawing so much inspiration and and getting so much guidance for her craft lately especially in more recent years um, about, and and she's still, we're like not even included in the world tour. Like we're not even on the radar. And so conversations like this centering around Beyonce and, and we're, we're going to get to the point around speaking around the broader diaspora and the problematic ways that the diaspora views the continent in a minute. But like, this is not new, right? Um. And even when it came out, I was pissed and I had already decided that I am not watching that shit, like, in protest. Because I was like, okay, Beyonce, so black is king and you say this is a love letter and an ode to Africa, but it's on Disney+. Plus. Is it Disney+. Plus? I don't even know because we don't have it. We don't have it, <laughs> basically. The point, the point that I'm trying to make is people on the continent that you're saying you draw inspiration from cannot even witness and watch this art or consume this art without going through illegal platforms like pirating. Yeah. Um, and I think that, so what does that mean, right? What does that mean um, in relation to the diaspora position, which I think happens quite often, the diaspora mm-hmm. position and view of the continent and what it is that you take to the continent and what it is you give to the continent. Like we are more than just signing checks to help us right we also want we also have the ability and want to contribute and consume your art as well so that was my thing yeah and the thing okay so and this is how i know that she heard the criticism right because beyonce's mom when the trailer came out people were like one of the first critiques that we're talking about is like this is not even going to be accessible to people in africa Mm. Mm. beyonce's mom ended up responding to the criticism i don't know if you saw that tina Knowles. she like put up really long extensive posts and all this stuff and like it's fair for her to defend her daughter and i think that's fine like um but now more recently they just announced yeah. that it would be available in africa through mnet Isaac? yeah dstv okay. mnet yeah okay that's what it, so it was so now it's going to be available um of course and that's uh, of course and that's going to be classed right like not everybody's going to have access <laughs> But it is now going to be available. And I think that that's, and I think that it is good that she was able to like, even though they didn't directly engage with it, like she was able to say, okay, this is actually a fair criticism. What can we do to address this right now? Mm. And hopefully when she does start to produce content 
about when she produ- if she continues to produce content about Africa because also these things these engagements tend to be seasonal for everybody. Yeah, of course. <laughs> we're we're hot be- property right now. Oh, we are hot yeah. property, girl. And actually, let me check myself because it shouldn't just be about like only when you produce content about Africa that it's accessible to Africans. Mm-hmm. I think we should be able to be including Africa in all of our engagements and all of the art that we are producing. And so the artists now, as they do movies or they produce all these other things that they're more cognizant of that and saying that like, you know, Africa shouldn't just be an afterthought when it's, when it's actually, they're the subject of the content. When in fact, like they should always be, the content should always be included in the works that we are trying to share. Mm. And that's why some people always like say, Oh, Beyonce's never done a tour in Africa, all this stuff. Of course, I don't know. My sister, my sister will go hand. She's like, now she did a tour. I don't know. <laughs> she did not do a tour. She only comes for Nelson Mandela. That's the only time. It has to be sub four double six six four raising awareness stuff. I don't know. I I want to say that she has performed in Nigeria. If anybody's listening, please correct me. I can look that up right now, sweetie. I remember there was like a whole thing that they even might, they might've even named a road after Jay-Z. I think they both might. <laughs> Nigerians are my favorite. Honestly. <laughs> extra. <laughs> so extra. So extra girl. I like to think about what we're talking about. When I was thinking about this conversation, I was like, you know, I like to think about it as like diaspora blues in many ways because mm because it's a tension, right? And like, as a member of the diaspora, I can say like, I experience this tension every single day of my existence. And it's like, as I've gotten older, that I've started to like, reflect more on, on, you know, how I act on this tension and how I like operate on this tension and how I think about this tension. And I think that's what, I think that would be my message to people. If you're a member of the diaspora and you're listening to this, like, um, that would be my message to you is to really think deeply about, you know, you know, how this tension is manifesting in your day-to-day life in terms of mm-hmm. how you understand and imagine Africa. You know, when I responded to someone on Twitter and I said, you know, it's not about like, no one is saying that no, that we shouldn't be producing art about Africa. That's not what people are saying. And of course, like we haven't seen the video yet. So we look forward to like engaging and and hopefully like Beyonce's music video, you know, is going to, or this film is going to like defy everything we previously thought. And I hope, I really hope that. But I think for a lot of the art that we see that comes out about Africa and African women tends to, tends to be what we imagine as Africa and not what Africa is mm-hmm. yeah like we have to learn to check what we imagine because in many ways it homogenizes the continent and it like creates this kind of universalized idea of what it means to be african mm-hmm. um in in a world where power structures isn't a thing it wouldn't matter right because yeah. like you no know, okay this is not the case but the reality is especially if you're producing art about africa from the united states or from the uk you really have to be reflexive in the process because i think that i think that we you european eurocentric knowledge production is always going to be it's always going to it's always going to do a disservice to not a disservice it's always going to be above african knowledge production and 
it's always going to be above African knowledge production. And, and because of that, it's well, never received like, in that way. It's received by the well, world in that way. It'll be received in that way. So like when we say, when we, when we create things that are about Africa as, um, as people who are Africans existing in the U S know that the world is looking at it. It's always, this is almost kind of like an expert thing and, of, and, of, of knowledge or whatever. And, and because, because it comes from a black voice, Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, it affirms very problematic notions that, you know, some of our fairer-skinned um, friends might already have. And I think, I think also like a big thing for me has been, and again, like we haven't seen this, and I don't know who's behind the scenes and contributed to it, but I think it's also really important for us to. In the instances, so obviously we it's come out that like Beyonce is obviously drawn from artists on the continent who've contributed towards this yeah. body of work. Um, and that's important and that should be celebrated. But I also I find myself thinking more. That's and this is the sad thing about being somebody who's always thinking and critiquing, right? Because like you're never really satisfied. But I find happy. myself Yeah, I find <laughs> myself now like thinking. But a lot of those people are deeply privileged people, like Mm -hmm. super Mm -hmm. duper duper privileged people Mm -hmm. who, who experience the continent and experience life on the continent in a very specific way. Right. Mm -hmm. And will, will placate to the diaspora gaze oftentimes. Mm -hmm. That's not to say everyone who's privileged would do that, but I find that oftentimes they do placate to the diaspora gaze and also like having this desire to prove to the diaspora that Africa is also affluence. Like we have to focus on the affluence and defending this affluent position on on the continent when that's not like what we're trying to be doing, right? We're not trying to swing the pendulum. We're not trying to completely swing the pendulum in the complete opposite direction of perspective. We're just trying to say there is complexity and we need Mm -hmm. to think about it. And let me tell you something. We are not all kings and queens, okay? Like, just because you're black, just because you come from the continent does not mean you're a king and queen. And we don't don't have to play into those tropes of being African kings and African queens and – to garner respect in in and of itself, that position is deeply problematic because it's also so performative. And I don't even know if this is the right word, but it also kind of feels very like fetishy, right? Like mm-hmm. if somehow, you know, from the diaspora, if you reach back into the continent, you will find your roots connecting all the way to kings and queens. And maybe your roots don't. Like that's a very real possibility that your roots don't connect you to kings and queens, sweetie. Like maybe your roots connect you to people who are working in the fields, people who like it's it's not we don't have yeah. to completely perform to this um to disprove um yeah. the story that the world has told us about ourselves. Now we have to all be prove that we can all afford Louis Vuitton that Oh my gosh, when I'm with Tibet, I said this thing on an interview on Breakfast Club saying, Oh, the Louis Vuitton store is closer to my house than, you know, the Lion Park or some shit like that. And it pissed me mm. off, right? Because when you're on that stage at that level, like you, mm. you don't have to placate that lens. You don't have to. 
be like my but I'm affluent like we're not just one thing all of those things can exist at the same time all we're saying is like be cognizant of how you present these stories be cognizant of how you hold space for these stories but we're not all kings and queens like I'm so sick of that shit you're not don't come here and look for kings and queens because you're not okay (laughs) tell you that for free and I think the other thing, and it's so interesting because of, so a lot of my academic interest lies in like, um, like diaspora, but specifically diaspora literature. And uh, at SOAS, I really did focus on like first generation African diaspora literature. So people like myself, and I think it's a really interesting kind of weird. It's not weird. Like I don't want to call it weird because I think that there are valid desires to feel at, at home in the place that mm-hmm. like you're feeling to right mm-hmm. um, but there's this kind of like just to pick off of some of the stuff that you're saying this is kind of like now it's not necessarily about this isolated yearning for this pre-colonial africa unscathed by colonialism right mm-hmm. but it's it's the yearning for the pre-colonial mixed in with the this futuristic thing that, has, <laughs> that is now like combined mm. um that has now combined into this thing. So it's weird. Like, like it's like this futuristic thing, but it also draws really heavily from this pre-colonial period um, that in many instances, we don't even know much about because mm. so much of our and the knowledges have been destroyed. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, like I think, yeah, you articulated this very beautifully. And I think that in, in many ways you can see it in like, like I was thinking about, um, I was thinking about, oh, I asked you to watch a, for a few episodes of uh, African City. What did you yeah. think of that? What did you think of that? Um, so the first time I watched it was a while ago, and then I rewatched a few episodes. And I obviously resonated with some parts of it because I think, like, it's a very middle-class mm. African lens. Obviously, it's – where is it based again? Ghana or Nigeria? Ghana, right? Mm-hmm. It's Ghanaian. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, returnees yeah 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 so i mean i i appreciated some of the commonalities because i do think that i relate to the class perspective Mm -hmm. but i didn't obviously not all of the conversations around the um, the diaspora story hit home for me um and it was interesting and i i i i enjoyed it and i think that there's space for for that kind of representation and i think that that kind of representation is important and it matters right um but was there a character who was from the continent who was one of their friends like who not from the continent but like who grew up and had not who was not diaspora i think they're all diaspora yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so i think that would have been an interesting lens right right so for me it's just about like it's just like my concern is always like the pendulum swinging too far the the other way. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I I don't know what was your what were your thoughts because I I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. Um, I thought it was interesting. <laughs> it gave me like an interesting perspective into what that experience might be like. But I think it only showed a very middle class view of what that aspera story might be. Like I don't think that somebody who's not middle class privileged would have that kind of return experience to the continent. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, I'm interesting because I expected you to not like it. Why? Um, well, when I first watched it, it was many years ago, I loved it. I was like, oh my God, guys, did you watch African City? <laughs> 
talking to all my city in Africa, talking to all of my like African friends. And when I say African, I mean, like they are, they like have lived most of their lives there. Um, so I remember them all being like, no, we didn't like it. It's just, it's a terrible portrayal of like what actually happens there. Mm. And I think the reason, I think that the tension there is because of like, now when I rewatched it in preparation for this conversation, I think the tension there lies in like the way the girls engage with conversations around their experiences in Africa, in part, it's over weird. Um, and it's, and it's, it's in many ways, it's weird. It's also condescending and it's, um, it's very much like an inability to check the like Eurocentric lens in which they have come into the space with. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the clearest example is when the girl refers to her boyfriend, she's like, she can't, one of the women, I'm saying girl, one of the women, she starts seeing this man and he poops and his poop smells really, really bad. And she calls it an African dump. Oh! I don't know if you, yeah, she calls it an African dump. No, girl! <laughs> like, oh my God, was I paying attention when this was saying, when they were saying this? <laughs> oh, you just, you just become a better person. That's all it is. They called it, she called it an African dump. And I mean, it it sounds minor, but it's not minor, right? Because it actually, the reason why she's saying that is because in her mind, there's something different about the way people, I don't even know. I don't even, like, there's so much there to like unpack, right? But like, it's the ways that they critique, like the people, the actual people who are born and raised there. Um, And I think, here, some of the questions come like when we talk about when we talk about the return movement, and I think that people should return, and I think that people should visit. Right, like this is not to say that people shouldn't be doing those things, but I think that we should be complicating, like we're saying, like we should be having a balanced discussion about our experiences when we go, and we should be understanding that actually when we go into these spaces, we are actually moving into those space with a lot of privilege yep. as a. Right or as Europeans, we walk into the space with a certain type of gaze and a certain type of lens. Mm. Now we all have it, including myself. But the question is: Are we actively like? Are we acting on that gaze? Are we critiquing that gaze when we see it manifesting? Like, what? How are we taking those next steps to ensure that like we're not doing a disjustice? I I remember in God. Like I know Ghana's currently having a discussion about, you know, giving citizenship to um to, to the diaspora um from America, I think. Right. And I remember talking to my friend Izzy and I was saying, you know, you know, we all have to be very careful about this, right? Like, and it's not to say that we don't deserve to return to these spaces, but I think that we all have to be very careful about the ways that we are moving into these spaces, uh, because I think that you know I'm a li- I'm a Nigerian Liberian, and I'm a Liberian who is Americo Liberian, which means that my family went to Liberia as my family m- 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 were free sl- freed slaves that came from return. America to like exactly mm-hmm. and returned to Liberia. I am from a specific class of Liberians, right? And before the coup, that class was the one that was like running everything. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And of course, like these are the types of conversations that we don't really have in our family. My mom will get really offended. We had like family members who were executed. My mom's father was executed. So it's very touchy subject. You can't really have a balanced conversation with her about, you know, like, you know, there was some exploitation, you know, there was disproportionate (laughs) economic system. Like violence doesn't just manifest like it exists as a result of certain types of things, people's current conditions. And you can't really have those conversations, right? Because, you know, it's a lot. Yeah. But as someone who is both removed but and inside, I, I have a responsibility to say that, like, we know what uncritical movements to Africa look like yeah. and what happens um, when they happen, right? And it looks like a Liberia where the... Liberians became the the upper class people, and then the indigenous Liberians um, tended to be the poorer communities, mm-hmm. right? And so, like, you know what that looks like because that's an that's what happens when we have uncritical movements where we like we come from these European places and we now think that we are better than yeah. the people who are. Yeah. And I think that that is what my hesitation is like when I heard about it, I was like, whoo. This is loaded <laughs> because it's a loaded, right? Because we can't, we have to be, we have to start to accept. I think that is the key. Like it's accepting that as people in the diaspora living in America and the, and Europe and like all these other places, like when we leave those spaces, we carry a whole lot of privilege and a lot of privilege that can do a lot of harm. Um, and so I like that's where my kind of like that's where my kind of um hesitation comes from right like it's like we know we history like look at the u.s people constantly say history repeats itself with every shit that blows up here history repeats itself and like instead of letting it repeat itself we should be learning from it because we know what uncritical movements look like i think that's where my like worry that's where my like worry lies um because i don't think there's a lot of like like really thinking about it. And I think that is also like, um, yeah, so we talked about an African city and then did you ever get to watch Yvonne Orgy's thing? Uh, yeah. It's, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I did. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I did. I You're did. so annoying. Um, I actually hate you so much. <laughs> um, look, Yvonne. <laughs> <laughs> it was a cool thing to watch okay like i'm uncomfortable with yvonne's show for many reasons right and i but but however comma as a disclaimer i think with growing older i have become more empathetic to the diaspora experience right maybe it's because i've made friends who are first gen second gen third gen american or european and i guess like i can like in as much as i live in a continent that is deeply problematic that we have all of these issues and south africa is deeply racist etc 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 i still see myself um in people's faces in spaces that i occupy every now and again right where so I understand the yearning. Like, I get it. I get the yearning. I get the yearning for more reasons than just that. Like, being a kid who grew up in predominantly white suburbs, whatever. Like, I, on some levels, I understand it, right? Mm-hmm. But, however, comma, the 
discomfort that I have with Yvonne is similar to similar but different to the discomfort that I have with like Beyonce and other people drawing inspiration from the continent in that I feel like she played into a lot of tropes about the continent. And I think even in the opportunities that she had where she was showing some videos where she was like in the streets of Nigeria talking to people or whatever, like that was an opportunity for her to show a different side, to add some complexity to the story that she was trying to tell in her show. Right. Um, And so that, that was my discomfort, but again, okay, cool. That's like, the immigrant experience you best or nothing whatever like i get it i can respect it that might be the experience for many um <clears throat> immigrant children but i just i it was just uncomfortable to me like it felt <laughs> like because it felt like because she was first gen nigerian she could play into a lot of the problematic things that african americans say about black people from the continent but she gets mm. a pass because she's first gen Nigerian. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just like, I don't know. Also, I just felt like the show didn't have range, but that's besides the point. Continue. Sorry. Yeah. What did you think? I found myself giggling. And <laughs> it, I the thing like- is, it makes sense for you to giggle, right? Because I'm sure you found some similarities between her experiences and yours. And I guess that that's what the art of comedy does. But for me, yeah. I just, like a lot of it just felt like she's getting a pass because she's first gen Nigerian. But uh, mm, I'm not sure. I found myself giggling, but but I also found myself giggling, but also uncomfortable. And part of the the scene that made me one of the scenes that made me really uncomfortable was when she was like sitting talking to like people about like their decisions in Nigeria to do like be a DJ and all this stuff. Yeah, all the rich kids, all the rich kids. Exactly. And I was like, but ma'am, like you're again, I agreeing with you. Like she was feeding into these like ideas and like these tropes in a way that does a disservice. Right. Because mm. it's not like our parents or your parents just wanted you to be a doctor or a lawyer out of nothing. But mm. like the reality, like certain conditions mean that like being a doctor or a lawyer is the only way to secure might be one of the only ways to secure your future. Mm-hmm. And that's and a, your ability to be able to be a DJ or to be a fashion designer or to be a comedian really is rooted in your class identity. Because mm-hmm. all of those people are like basically in the top class of mm-hmm. Nigeria. Isn't we- Yvonne's dad like a chief of something? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think he's like a chief. I think she said that. I might be wrong. This might be completely made up, but. <laughs> <laughs> is there and he is like like these are the people that like are the elite of Lagos like live on the island yeah, yeah. <laughs> these are not these are not small children yeah <laughs> these are the echelon but then it was interesting because I was having a uh, conversation with Adrielle and Adrielle was saying you know what made her uh, uncomfortable was not only the like what what her what made her uncomfortable? She didn't find it funny at all. But what made her uncomfortable was that Yvonne also played into the 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 tropes around like what African American the tropes around like African American identity and mm. and context. We're talking about like um we're talking about those who are like descendants who 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 aren't as close to um the continent currently. So like we're talking about 
people who are like the descendants of We're slaves. Like, generationally, guys, please don't yeah. for us. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, and so she completely she, agree with that. Completely agree with that, right? Because there was this one moment. I remember what I can't remember what she said. Oh, she was in the salon having this conversation, or she was talking about her hair experience, and she was like, she was talking to this one woman who was Nigerian. She was telling the Nigerian lady to do this. And then this black lady said this. And I was like, I don't understand. Why would the Nigerian be something outside of blackness? Right. Mm -hmm. Like, like that's not how you distinguish it. Right. Because it again feeds into this thing of like African immigrants being something outside of blackness in the United Mm -hmm. States. And that's not true. Right. Like we are all black. And when people see us, they shoot us because we're all black. Um, and I think that it does a disservice, right? Like we, because it, it continues to perpetuate these tensions, right? And I, and I completely agree with that. I think that like when we start to engage with diaspora and engage with what it means to be diaspora and to engage in what it means for diaspora to have relationships with Africa, we also have to be like complicating what diaspora, how we define diaspora, who's included in diaspora, and like we need to be, yeah, we, I think we smarter about that because they're like it doesn't help us in the long run and it's so sorry sorry continue that Adriel was talking about specifically where basically the I guess the african-american um person um that they were playing a game with I was literally about to speak about that oh go ahead ahead. I was literally about to speak I was like as you were speaking I was actually thinking about the hmm feeling that I had during that space where I was like that just seems off to me and it just feels like we're she's scoring an own goal against black people because yeah. mm-hmm. it's literally playing into the trope of like african-american people are obviously not as intelligent as people who come from the continent and yeah. aside from that it also feeds into and i don't know where this comes from maybe you can balance me because she's try she and lovey have articulated this but i just don't think that they've captured it adequately or eloquently where uh-huh. I think it plays into the, these tensions that exist between people, first gen, second gen, or whatever, um, and people who are African Americans or rather descendants of um, uh, African slaves in America, right? Mm-hmm. And these tropes that you know Africans are these super intellects and they work really mm-hmm. hard and they're super dedicated, and um, African Americans, on the other hand, are lazy. Um, are not eloquent, are not well-spoken, are not intelligent. And I was like, my sis, in the time of Black Lives Matter, you're going to sh- like, you're going to score such an own goal. It, it just, it felt I, like it left me sitting there thinking like, what was the point of that joke? Yeah. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a model minority trope, right? Like, mm-hmm. but it's a model minority amongst black people. Exactly. <laughs> it doesn't even make sense, right? But and it, but it it actually operates like that in the US. Like there have been some studies that have shown that at many like elite universities, the people who are black, who the the black identified people, and they are black, right? But who makes up those categories tend to be like um, first and second gen Africans, first and second gen Caribbean. So even at Colgate, I can't tell you in like in my class year, there are really just a handful of African American students that were in my class, like a handful. And there was like, I think if you do the math, there was like 30 of us in our entire 700 class. That's <laughs> so cool. like 30 black people. Um, 
30. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's like 30, 40 of us. So if you do the math, a handful, like that's not a lot of people, right? And like I was friends with two of them. So I think Adriel and no DJ, I was going to say DJ, DJ is Caribbean. So I was friends with like a handful of them. Um, and so I think that, yeah, I think that like it operates, but like, we also don't understand that this modern, the model minority thing that we are playing into is actually structurally operating exactly. because, or you write a story, you know, when you apply to college, you do your personal statement and maybe you talk about, you know, being a member of the diaspora, all this stuff. Like, these are the things that like play into this idea that like, oh, there's a certain type of blackness that is more palatable than a blackness that is from the United States mm. or that was born generationally from the United States. And I think that that's something that like, as the diaspora, we should be like unpacking, right? Rather than trying to escape towards something because we also don't really, like we have our foot in multiple places all at the same time, but we should be unpacking what's happening in our own countries first mm. because these things have real impacts. And so, yeah, it's definitely, it was, I don't listen to Jesus and Jalaf because I can't stand the accents. <laughs> When they do the accents, I found I actually listened to their podcast. I, funny enough, I introduced Sam. Um, Sam is my Sam is my partner for everyone listening. But I introduced Sam to Jesus and Jalof like a month, maybe two months ago, and he's now obsessed. I basically mm. don't have a boyfriend anymore because of Jesus and Jalof. Um, and great, <laughs> we're now really into it. Um, so I mean, I do. I I think. I think that they speak to a very specific crowd of people on that mm-hmm. podcast. It's very much um, uh, motivational speaker adjacent, which I'm not necessarily a fan of, but at least they're funny. Um, but this this point that you just spoke of actually just segues into something that I find deeply frustrating about diaspora position and um, positionality and um Mm-hmm. You know what dias- what the diaspora can be like thinking creatively and actively and smartly about what the diaspora can actually do to help the continent, right? So um I remember <clears throat> we went to some function, some fundraising thing. Do you remember at SOAS? And they were raising money to buy soccer balls or something for Congo, Congolese children. I think it was Congolese children. I might be wrong. <laughs> Yeah, oh, yeah, we were playing, remember we were playing Jenga and stuff. Yeah, yeah, there was a cute guy there. <laughs> oh, I, did, I didn't even see the cute guys. To be honest, I was just annoyed. Yeah, I remember that. And that look, there is oh, I don't know how to say this. There is absolutely nothing wrong with raising funds and doing things you know that can help solve you know the immediate needs of the continent. But what I need people in the diaspora to understand, especially if you are a citizen, like you are a card-carrying, eligible-to-vote member of the diaspora, is that there's so much power and influence in voting in people who understand the role that those centers of power, and when I say centers of power, I mean the countries in which you live, European and American countries, and the policies that these countries make that negatively impact the continent. These are conversations that I think that people, intellectuals and anybody else who's in academia or in policymaking space or in the corporate world or in your, like if you're in school or university and you're doing fundraising activities or whatever, do um, 
awareness programs that shine a light on some of these incredibly oppressive policies that your countries have imposed on the continent, right? And understand that you can do so much work by simply raising awareness around these policies and the impacts that they have on the continent and putting yourselves in a position where you can shift the power dynamics into putting people in power who actually give a shit about the world, right? And that means Black Lives Matter Black Lives Mattering in the United States, but all over the world as well. Um, mm. And I think for me, when we speak about the complexity of the relationship or the lens through which the diaspora views the continent, it's also about understanding that, right? That advocating for active engagement on the part of people of color and black people and diaspora people um, in those countries that are centers of global power also means that when you get into those spaces and you can advocate and have the conversations around those unfair policies that maintain these structures of rampant exploitation of the continent. And that's not to say we don't have corruption on the continent and you guys shouldn't be like campaigning to raise awareness on corruption on the continent, but there are corrupt policies that are legal, right? That are that are designed to maintain the status quo so that these countries can maintain their position by getting our resources in like dirt cheap ways. So mm-hmm. I think that we also need to bring that into the forefront of this conversation to say there are other ways, right, that you can make a change. Um and if you are going to be signing petitions, then understand what the policy, understand and read and understand the relationships between the country that you're living in and its relationship to the continent. Like, know that, right? Know it and understand it. Um, yeah. 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 And I think, yeah, I 100% agree with you. And I think that, like, you know, I remember. Uh, when I first graduated college, I was actually a part of this organization in the DC area and it was focused on like diaspora, African, the African diaspora, I'm not going to name them, but you know, what I really made me uncomfortable sometimes, a lot of times, is that a lot of times the people that were there, they were first and second gen and everybody was like, yeah, like the, you know, the core of it became, yeah, like we need to go to Africa, we need to go back to Africa to say to like basically save Africans, right? Mm-hmm. Like that they have all the brains. Exactly. These first and second gen Africans existing in in the West now are the ones that have the tools to liberate Africa, right? And that's a super colonialist, like mm-hmm. Euros way of positioning the ways we think about liberation or like international development and like those are the types of things that when we say like we need to be doing a lot of like introspective like checking of ourselves before we say okay yeah we want to go to Nigeria and do x y and z like you really you want to interrogate why is it you want to go to Nigeria in the first place Mm. what is it that you want that you couldn't actually do here Um, and also what are Nigerians already doing Exactly. Like, and, and I think that's what you're diff- And how is what you are doing different, or adding to, or taking away from, because of your yeah. privilege? What's like what's already happening on the ground? Yeah, and like you know, so now I, you know, I do a few side projects, but one of them is I work with um, this sexual health organization in um, that is based in Liberia. They do programs in Liberia supporting like adolescent mothers 
And part of the reason, one of the selling points to me for why I got involved was like the diaspora engagement or the diaspora portion. So the portion that I'm involved in has nothing to do with program creation or program implementation. We don't do any of what we basically are. Our sole purpose is to like communicate our work, but also to raise funding for that work. Um, And all of the implement program implementation is done by people in the community um, and is created by people in the community. And I think that that, when I saw that, I was like, oh yeah, like this is a space, you know, I'm not saying that it's perfect, right? Like there's some, of course, there's always going to be problematic stuff, but I think that like, this is a space that I could operate in where like, you know, I am not, I as someone living in DC is not the one deciding what, you know, reproductive health and economic resources to adolescent mothers in Liberia looks like. That's something that's being people in the community, practitioners in the community who were already engaged with that work, but now we've kind of like created this organization to support that effort. Mm -hmm. And diaspora with like money, because I think like money is important, right? Like oftentimes it's not about, we think that it's about ours putting our bodies in those spaces when the reality is with, we have capital. Mm -hmm. It's about capital to the organizations already doing the work in those spaces, the work that's actually rooted in a community-based effort that is like really designed around the people who they're trying to help and rather instead of this kind of like top-down like thing. But I also think a second thing is that like we, we, (laughs) it's so crazy because I'm the diaspora and I'm like critiquing myself. (laughs) That's what I'm saying people should do. (laughs) <laughs> I think the second thing is that like um I think the second thing is that we have to stop, you know, we literally need to start really thinking about, you know, what does as an because I'm an activist, right? And so I'm really concerned with activism and how we organize because I think that like all of the oppressions that we are experiencing, we are all experiencing oppression and they're all coming from capitalism and like patriarchy and racism. And I think that like these structures manifest differently in different spaces, but at the end of the day, we're all fighting these same structures. And I think that for me, what I have grown to think more about is like, how do we create actual solidarities that do the work that we need to be doing to make the change that we need to be changing for for all of us? And I think a really good example of that was, you know, I wrote a paper about um, this in, in Nigeria. There was a woman, a young woman who became pregnant in the North and she was going, she was going to be killed. Um, I believe because she was pregnant outside of a marriage and the person who, um, the person who had sex with her was not going to face any, um, any, any, I don't know, what is it? (laughs) Face any consequences. Yeah. It's like any consequences. And I think this was a part of like Sharia in Nigeria. This is a part, this is just a part of the, um, local law in Northern, in a subsection of Northern Nigeria. And so of course, like women's groups, um, across the continent were like mobilizing, trying to address this issue to ensure that this woman's life would be saved. I can't remember her name right now. Um, But all of a sudden um, you had a lot of like Western human rights organizations producing really uncritical things about what was happening in Northern Nigeria that was going to do a disservice to the efforts of the local women's law groups that were already trying to help. And so these local women's law groups literally had to say, 
can you please pull this, these things that you've posted, pull them. We don't need you to do this. This is not what supporting us looks like. Um, and um, if you want to support us, these are all the things that you can do to support us. But this right here, that's not it. Um, and and it was and because they were you know because they understood like you can't just you can't argue something like this from the point of view of a person sitting in America right and so women lawyers they understood these women lawyers in Nigeria understood they understood the local law they understood Sharia and they were trying to figure they were figuring out a way to argue in the defense of this girl that would still align with local religious law and practices mm successfully able to do and i think that that is really an indi- this is it's one of the clearest indications of what it means when we think about when we think differently about what solidarity looks like that when we're building solidarity we shouldn't be we shouldn't be like focusing on like oh this is all the things that happened here we should be saying okay this is what was successful here this is what was successful in this place like where do we meet but also where are the differences and we should be leaving space for the differences to like help to drive solidarities, which is what like traditional feminists like Chandra Mahanti and all these people, like they are you, they like, they are proponents of, and they like, they think a lot about it. So I would definitely suggest like reading her work, but I think that that is the, that's where I think diaspora, when I think about diaspora and the possibilities of the power of diaspora, I think about that types of, those types of like activist networks that are like working across countries in the continent, but across nations. And they're saying like across countries outside of Africa, and they're saying like, okay, we need to start hearing these voices. And so like, so and being in tune with these organizations means, oh, hearing them. And maybe it means taking a step back. Maybe there's nothing else you need to do other than sign a petition, right? Mm-hmm. Like we don't need to produce any articles about X, Y, and Z. We, we got it here. Like this is what you can do. And I think for me, um, whenever you are, you find yourself in a position of um, privilege and you want to help, it's always important to ask how you can help the people that you're trying to help. Do you know what I mean? Like, like if I'm sitting, if I'm sitting in like a hot tub or whatever, and for some reason your perspective is like, oh, should she probably shouldn't be sitting in there? But for me, it helps with my aches and pains or whatever. I don't know. This is a ridiculous example, but like, it's not your place, right? Like. The conversation should be there are people who live there. I'm pretty sure they kind of know. Like, <laughs> and also not just asking, but it's also about thinking of ways that you can plug people into your research resource network, right? Mm-hmm. So it's about saying that people on the continent can like I can do the academic research about reading and understanding e- economic policy and how it works, right? And mm-hmm. I can draw a myriad of conclusions about how neo-colonial policies that exist now are supporting multinational um, uh, corporations in completely destroying the economies and the environments of developing countries all over the world and more specifically Africa, because that's where my research interests lie. But I cannot do anything about that, right? I do not have voting powers in those countries right i do not have advocacy positionality in those countries that i write about right 
but there are people who have influence and power in those countries and not even power, but like perhaps you can even have conversations in your little groups, right? Like mm. just talk, just know, <laughs> right? Like, my thing is just know. Like it's so important. Like we can all be pretend to be completely oblivious to the realities, but we know the shit like we know that these fucking countries create these policies that support these multinationals who rob us blind right like you know that but it's Mm. also important for you to know who your representatives are who are voting for these policies like know who your representatives are who don't enforce um and follow through with uh you know, like holding these companies and corporations and institutions accountable for the abuses that they exert on the continent and other countries in other countries that are in um, the developing region. Like, just know. Like, for me, if you really genuinely are about it, then be about it. Like, in the realest, most impactful way possible. But, like, you can't just oh, please, guys, it just, I actually just get tired. Like, you you, you need to know, like, in your position, I, as a South African, for example, have to understand the things that our country does and the ways that our country abuses its positionality and power on the continent, right? Like, I need to know those things so that when I navigate spaces on the rest of the continent and I engage with people from the rest of the continent, I don't sound like an ass, and I don't act in ways that are a disservice and undermine the very real experiences and the work that the people in those countries are doing. So it's really just about just be better, right? Like read more than tweets or also maybe like follow people from the continent who are doing the work, follow, yeah. support their platforms, right? Like plug into those platforms, read about the kind of work and art that and material that they are producing so that you can add a bit of nuance to the conversations that you're having, add a bit of nuance to your perspectives because this kind of unilateral position where all you get is interviews of super rich entertainers from the continent, sweetie, mm-hmm. let me tell you something. Stop watching The Breakfast Club. Like... Yeah, and I think that segues really really nicely because when I was talking to Adriel about this, she was like, you know, I think what would even be more interesting is if you guys could suggest, if we could suggest people who are doing it correctly. And when I thought about it, I almost wanted to be like, I don't know if anybody's doing it correctly. (laughs) I don't know if anyone's doing it correctly, but I do know that there are spaces that are being created for you to be in, to get, you know, better connected with art that's already being produced, at least for me, because my interest is like art and literature, Mm -hmm. art and literature, things that are already being produced from the continent, from Africa itself, right? And I think that, that and it's like, and it's, that is outside of the kind of like the traditional Nollywood fold of stuff. So, you know, one of the examples is like, I was, I went to the Africa Rights Festival last year and I thought it was a great experience. Um, I don't think it's happening this year. I think it's going to be virtual. So probably, it's likely that people could still get access to the Africa Rights Festival if it's going to be virtual. But they actually had like a shit ton of books that I had never heard about. And like all the stuff I bought, like I spent, I might've spent like 80 pounds there <laughs> just buying books. And I think that energy, love it. Africa Rights, I would look up Africa Rights. I was also look up um, 
we went to did you ever go with me to the africa film festival stuff that was happening in the uk uh no i think that was like a crazy week for me but i remember yeah so I went to a few. So there's an African film film, film festival that happened in the UK. Oh no, I went. I went, to, I went to one. Okay, yeah. never mind. Yeah, I remember. We went to a few films, um, and my favorite one was this film called Kasala. And the reason why it was one of my favorite, first of all, it was hilarious. But the reason why it was interesting was because, like, it definitely took us it was definitely outside of the traditional nollywood in that like um the characters the characters were from low-income communities but being from low income didn't make them some type of like caricature is often the caricature that people from low-income communities end up embodying in nollywood films they tend to be either being rescued if it's a woman she's being rescued by some rich man (laughs) or if it's not that then like they are tend to be like the comedians. They don't have like real lines. They tend to be like portrayed as super uneducated and like not interesting and all this stuff. Um, even in one of our favorite shows too, it, uh, Skinny Girl in Transit, like in Skinny Girl in Transit, the ha- the house girl in quotation marks, the help in quotation marks, sorry. Um, the person who's their help, she's like, <laughs> they paid her to be such a yeah. like a joke in it um uh because of the community basically because of her class right and i think this film is set in a low-income community but they're them being poor and existing in a poor community isn't central to the this to the film and i thought that that was really powerful like where you're the characters and you're not being sidetracked by oh there might be trash in the street or like the character is a joke like all these things they literally are just regular normal boys who are being doing fuck shit um and i thought that that was really powerful and i have to say that as someone who is a huge nollywood fan it was refreshing right because i think that we can have there's a diaspora gaze but there's also class gaze um and like we are not even we can't even like there's just so many layers to this discussion so many sweetie and so I would also recommend- just the the last thing also africa is more than nigeria ghana and south africa i just want to <laughs> Make that clear. That's another issue that I have. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. And which is one of my more than those three countries, please. One of my was really, really upset with the first original Lion King album yeah. or the soundtrack. Because yeah. it was mostly Ghana, Ghana, Nigeria, and South Africa. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. And so she was really upset. Like, I'm not going to listen to this. <laughs> right like, it is, it's fair it's i think fair. that's like a very like it's more we're more than, and also like even regionally you can do more <laughs> like, yeah you really really you can do more um yeah and exactly. i think that those countries are always 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 centralized in conversations in the diaspora and in conversations about the continent they are always overly represented on panels it's always you will always find a Ghanaian, a Nigerian, or a South African on a panel discussing the continent. Always. Yep. So well, and all these countries are so different from yep. each other that yep. Nigerian Nigerian can't really exactly know for sure what is supposed to be like what things are supposed to look like in like, I don't know, another country in East Africa or, or like 
country in Northern Africa. And to find a, oh my God, the rarity of a panel on Africa having North African representation. Oh, that they also sort of kind yeah. of not want to be, you know, about <laughs> that or another, another episode, but they sort of kind of are not about the continent. <laughs> they always want to, they just group themselves with the Middle East, like, oh, gosh, we'll just stay up here. It's okay. So that, you know, the problem with this, what we're saying right now is that like we are using the ideas of the political elite as like the ideas of like actual people see themselves as Africans, whereas the political elite are driving towards, want to be towards Europe in some capacity. That's good. That's Um, good. I've actually never thought of that. That's true. So now I have to stop saying that. Oh, it's so hard though because oh, because I also think because I tend to move in very privileged spaces in cross continental conversations that I've met people from North Africa who who have very just weird perspectives, just weird. Like that's like a whole other episode where I'm like, wow, okay, well, thank you for that. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's always a risk. I agree with you. It's, it's always, always a risk. Just, it just feels safer to just keep your mouth quiet. This. Just to be like, <laughs> <laughs> to just be like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, like, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's like interacting with a like a white man. Mm-hmm. You always got to leave a little bit of room for fuckery, just a bit, even if they're. Even if they're plugged in and they really are doing the work, you got to leave a little bit of room of the fuckery because the fuckery does come, sweetie. It does. <laughs> like, it comes. So, yes, I would definitely suggest that people check out Film Africa. You might not be able to, of course, if you're not in London, you can't watch that. You might not be able to access the films, but you could probably get them illegally somewhere. And yeah. they always like some of all the films that they're showing and all that stuff. And they, it was really good. One of them was even on um, Netflix. It was called The Burial of Kojo. That was really good. Um, oh, yeah. So that's that. what, that's doing it good. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe actually people can let us know on our Instagram. Like, who do you think in the diaspora is doing it well? And like, maybe what we'll also do in the week is um, just share like cool social media accounts and cool pot, uh, maybe podcasts and blogs and things that people can check out as like a little repository of information that yeah. you can put. I know I need it. I need it. Like I I need it. Cause oh sweetie. When she said who's doing it well, I literally want to be like, girl, mm. no. <laughs> I would have been and like sweetie, I don't know. Well, hopefully that means like as as a generation, as we become better people and we become critical and all this stuff that like um that we will get we will start to get more art that's doing it better in quotation. Cause I, I also think it's not about doing it better. Right. Cause I don't also think, I don't want to say that like diaspora engagements are bad because I don't think that's what we're trying to say. What we're trying to say is that like, we want to push people to complicate engagements with Africa mm. because complicated, then it has, it does a disservice and, mm. and, it, and it has consequences. And I think that's, at least to me, that's what I got out of this. Mm. And also just add, add some flavor to where you get information about the continent from, you know, Mm -hmm. like just add a bit of color, add a bit of texture. And this is also just for myself and I am on the continent, right? Um, It's about being deliberate about finding sources of information about different parts of the continent. 
um, mm-hmm. and having and adding just layers and complexity to my understanding of different regions on the continent because this beautiful, beautiful place that we call home is a mess, um, but it's also complex and colorful, and we really just need to be conscious and plugged in and deliberate I guess that's the message for me it's about like being deliberate about questioning and being critical like Onyi said um about our positionality and like yeah just stop following Tyrese and Breakfast Club and all these people like just cut it out it it adds no value to your life we didn't even speak about Tyrese but that's just oh yeah Breakfast Club interviews with African artists are cringeworthy. Cringe. <laughs> Cringe. Like, I'm really like, what the fuck is wrong with you all? Cringe. <laughs> but it's also some of the, the only one that I've seen that I've been like, okay, this is palatable, was Trevor Noah's second um, Breakfast Club interview. Um, the, the others... Oh no! What is that? I was I was watching. I'm like, what are you? What are they talking? It's just the blind leading the blind. It's a mess. It's just. Do you think only rich people live in America? (laughs) I was like, what? And that somehow. Oh, and also when asked about the racism in Cape Town, you know what? Never mind. I'm I'm tired. Your good girl, your queen, your queen bee that you you and um. Totally love so much. That what interview you... went terrible. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, that was so bad. She was talking about how Louis Vuitton is. The, I've never seen an animal, sweetie. I never see an animal. Louis Vuitton is down the road from my house. You know, Cape Town is just not. It's not like just that. You know, guys. I was like, no, you can say Cape Town's racist. Like Cape Town is super duper duper racist. Like, like super racist. <laughs> Like mm-hmm. super racist. The only thing that could semi protect you from the racism, but it doesn't, is class. Mm. But still, but like the racists in Cape Town are like the super Saiyans of racist. It's like I don't give a fuck about your bank balance. You're black. Get the fuck out. The end. <laughs> like that's it. Anyway, no. so stop watching Breakfast Club. In conclusion, like don't use that as a benchmark for the reality of people on the continent. Just don't listen to those people. I mean, listen to them, but listen to them. Like, be switched on, basically. <laughs> yes. Okay. So we're out here. We're about to leave. Do you want to say anything? Any last words? Nah, I think I said all my last words <laughs> from her own lips. From her own lips. The red lips, these red lips. Flowers with flames. From her own lips. From her own lips. The red lips, through my red lips. Wake you up.